20 years into their musical journey, Steep Canyon Rangers are in a place that they never imagined when they started out. As college students, they were bitten by the bluegrass bug relatively late compared to many artists who grew up with banjos and fiddles as constant companions. Now they are known nationwide and are ambassadors for Roots Music, who garnered at first critical and soon thereafter commercial success. They are still rooted in old time and bluegrass music, but always, and especially in recent years, have honed their sound into a style that no one else can claim. Their core lineup has remained largely intact all along, and their members will quickly tell you that they are friends first and bandmates second. Steep Canyon Rangers comes across as a group that is completely grounded and unpretentious, but also erudite and self-aware. Their latest album, Arm in Arm, is a testament to their bond as brothers in music, their virtuosity, and songwriting chops. You'll hear conversations from members of Steep Canyon Rangers, as well as plenty of their latest music, including a live performance from Woody Platt and Graham Sharp of their song, Honey on My Tongue, on public radio station WNCW, as well as selections like the one you're hearing now, One Drop of Rain. Jacob Groupman of the band Front Country joins us along the way, and we get a word from Steve Martin as well. I'm Joe Kendrick, welcoming you to Southern Songs and Stories, and our episode on Steep Canyon Rangers. One drop of rain. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. First of all, I deeply admire what the Rangers have done. You know, they're writing all their own songs. Uh, They're growing with their music, I don't know how to describe it. We know what the growth is. They're capable of doing traditional bluegrass and they're capable of doing, you know, like uh, what the derailed bluegrass, you know, uh, bluegrass is slightly off the rails. And, but, but mainly they do a fantastic show and uh, a really, a show that emphasizes their great musicianship. And that's so evident. You know, when I work with them, I'm constantly kind of in awe, and I just want to go thank you for making this song better. You know, with your uh, with your ideas and your your musical skills. A lot of bands that kind of started out as bluegrass bands, and for the Steep Canyon Rangers, definitely very bluegrass. But bands that started out as bluegrass bands, um, kind of going more the Americana route, and I think a lot of it is really that it's it's people in the bands being more true to their roots. I know in, in front country and in bands like fruition and, um, the steep Canyon Rangers, you know, that started out as more string bands, uh, really feel 
a pull to to kind of dig into maybe some of the other influences that the members had growing up. You heard Jacob from the band Front Country there, preceded by Steve Martin, talking to me around the time that he fronted Steep Canyon Rangers on their album called The Long-Awaited Album. More from Jacob later in the podcast. The first rule about starting a band, even before the rule about being able to play instruments and sing at least adequately, is to have a strong name. There are so many great stories about how bands came up with their names, both good and bad ones. You've probably heard some of these, like how the Commodores randomly opened up a dictionary and blindly pointed to a word to arrive at theirs, or how the Ramones took their name from Paul Ramon, which was the alias Paul McCartney used when booking hotel rooms, or maybe how Squirrel Nut Zippers got their name from a caramel candy dating back to Prohibition. When you hear the name Steep Canyon Rangers, it is easy to picture some strapping, heroic explorers of the Appalachian Mountains when it was still a frontier, and to hear echoes of pioneers of a different sort, the fathers of bluegrass music. Steep Canyon Rangers is a name that fits right in with the likes of Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys, or Flattened Scruggs and the Foggy Mountain Boys, with some adventure thrown in. Like the Rolling Stones, Steep Canyon Rangers connotes action, a bit of danger, a combination of tradition and bravado. So the Rangers were off to a good start even before they got to the part about mastering their instruments, nailing harmonies, and becoming skilled songwriters. I asked founding members Woody Platt, Mike Gugino, and Graham Sharp, as well as percussionist Mike Ashworth about those early days and how they got into bluegrass music. For me, it was, I got in a room with, I mean, Graham and I knew each other our entire experience in Chapel Hill, but at the beginning of our senior year, he had been working on his banjo, and I got into a room with him and our original bass player, Charles, in a, a living room, and we played like two or three songs just out of a songbook. And I was just blown away about how much fun that was. And we never stopped. Yeah. I mean, that's all we did from, from then on, just songbooks and living rooms and parties and took it to the streets of Franklin Street and Chapel Hill and never looked back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, really, I mean, that's all we wanted to do at the start is just figure out how to, how to play like our heroes, you know, how to, how to, how to play like Jimmy Martin and how to play and sing like, um, third time out and, you know, new grass revival. I mean, you name it, you know, and then being so amazed, like in bluegrass, you can just walk right up to your heroes at a record table or somewhere backstage. And, you know, like Del McCurry, the first time we opened for him, he and his wife, Gene were just so gracious with us and we couldn't believe it I mean you know here's like your stone cold hero and they're just like you know treating you with so much respect and you know telling you that they liked your band and stuff (laughs) that's one of the great things about the culture and roots music bluegrass music is that accessibility that that openness that humility that may not exist in you know I don't know what rock and roll stadium world where they're all like don't don't get near me, stay back. Yeah. But in this world, you know, that's a way that you can create lifelong friendships, that you can get fans that will be bought in and they will stick with you for forever. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something we've really kind of just had ingrained in our DNA as a band. It's just like how we, we operate like that with, with our fans and um, with other musicians, whether they're established or people who are coming up in it, you know. Yeah, I mean, the first bluegrass, we started chasing the bluegrass festivals around, and the first bluegrass festivals we went to, it was amazing to see the people that were on stage, 
in the campgrounds jamming with the crowd and us being included in that um sort of in the second row but not not ever <laughs> not ever shoot away you know just trying to learn in, in the parking lots and and then yeah just like the rapport you get with your fans and like graham said we've really um taken that to heart and we and we try to pass that forward if we have if we have a chance to you mentioned that you knew from the start that you wanted to do this and that was going to be your thing but what was the the point where you got to have sustainability where you weren't necessarily crashing on couches well i mean you know at the start we could we could get by on a lot less you know we didn't have families we didn't have mortgages things like that so you know we were fortunate to start the band when we could really run run it on a shoestring you know if we had if we had a running vehicle we could pretty much make it work um you know and as you know as we've grown up and kind of um you know grown in in so many ways you know everybody has more responsibilities now so you know we were really lucky from the start to have people who who could fulfill different roles you know both musically and from like a business side of things and that's been a huge sustainer you know and people a lot of people come to woody from up and coming bands and just want to talk to them about um that part of it because it's such an overlooked part of you know there's so many great musicians and great bands that we've known through the years that just kind of have fallen down you know in in that regard and that's you know i i think that's something that can be overlooked yeah for us you know we have this one sort of magical component which is our band the friendship of our band and we talk about this a lot but the friendship of our band predates the music you know so we weren't a bunch of musicians who found each other we were a bunch of friends who found each other and the music grew out of that and that's enabled us to stay focused and communicate and make similar decisions and kind of keep all of our arrows pointed at the same target as we're trying to move through this business um and we've had very little turnover in our lineup in 20 years uh, and you know we, we spoke about barrett briefly but barrett's the newest member of the band by maybe two years but he was at our first show you know very first show and we went to his senior guitar recital in college and so our friendship with him is almost as long as our friendships yep. here so he fit right in when we were looking for a guy to fill in there in that spot it was a no-brainer it was like let's get another brother and keep rolling there's something about that time period and being um you know college college aged in the mid to late 90s i think roots music folk music bluegrass music it, it is another revival much like there was you know a folk revival in the 60s and the, the festivals were huge back then too but that movie and that soundtrack it's like our kind of very limited age group and culture and that it was a pressure cooker already and the the soundtrack to that movie was just kind of like taking the lid off we you know we were going to find our way there eventually but that sort of fast-tracked it and i think i also think we were we were into it not not because of oh brother we're out though that just happened to happen at the same time that we were getting into bluegrass i mean we we were getting into bluegrass from other that's what i'm saying it yeah. was happening yeah and then yeah. that came out and it just sort of it sort of exploded across the country yeah sort of like gave uh like justified what we were doing or gave it some sort of like re-energized re a scene that had been fading at, at one point. yeah yeah the bluegrass festivals were huge in eastern north carolina the piedmont area and, and then there was bands in chapel hill like the shady grove band and the bluegrass experience yeah. that were huge pictures around downtown chapel hill and then there was this 80s happen. <laughs> yeah. 
and Earl Scruggs went to the Review and the Newgrass Revival, and uh, all of a sudden the, the bluegrass, the traditional bluegrass, sort of waned a little bit. And, and it was that time when we started our band in Chapel Hill, and all of a sudden it was like, oh man, there's, a blue, there's bluegrass back, you know, and the college kids were playing it, and we thought we were the first people to ever do it, but the Shady Grove Band were just like, we were doing the same thing. In the 15, 70s. 20 years yeah. before y'all. And we, and we just chased those guys down and wanted to learn from them. That's a bit of the song Golden Highway from the Shady Grove Band from their mid-90s album The Chapel Hillbilly Way. Mentioned by Woody Platt as predecessors in the Triangle region of North Carolina, that four-piece group helped set the stage for acts like the Rangers starting in the 1960s and 1970s with fellow travelers like Red Clay Ramblers and the Fuzzy Mountain String Band. The scene that the Steves joined and helped shape remains as charmingly off-center as it was half a century ago, welcoming everything from bluegrass the way Big Mon would have approved to the psychedelic forays of Billy Strings and a kaleidoscope of sounds in between. There's a lot of great bands doing what the Steves are doing, and um, you know the fans are always awesome because it's really about just general music lovers. You know, there's always a wide variety of kind of genres and styles that are represented in this scene, maybe some tr- all the way from traditional bluegrass to even you know some harder rock and everything in between. And you know, the fans just love it all. That's Jacob Groupman, guitarist in the San Francisco-based band Front Country. They also have a new album, titled Impossible World. With the Steep Canyon Rangers album Arm in Arm, after spending a little time listening, you hear a band continuing in the footsteps of those second and third generation bluegrass innovators, both with their constant exploration and original interpretations of the music, and their willingness to stay within the framework of string band and bluegrass music. Perennial debates linger on whether percussion truly stays within that structure, But nonetheless, Steep Canyon Rangers are a thoroughly roots music outfit with an eye towards the yet-unseen parts of the genre's territory. One of those largely uncharted parts of the acoustic map that they put their mark on with this album comes from pop music of the 1960s, specifically Brian Wilson. Here's Mike Ashworth. I like that that you bring up Brian Wilson. I think um, he's one of the earliest American pop anything goes experimental artists that we have and uh and i i think if if we've learned anything over the years of recording in a studio and kind of going at it from all angles sometimes we go in we're fully rehearsed we kind of know what it's going to sound like when we come out with arm and arm we felt the freedom this time to um put a sound in and see what it sounds like. And if we don't like it, we could take it back out. And uh, I think that I like the the Brian Wilson thing. Other, you know, influences, there's some that we won't 
that are sort of uh, ingrained in who we are individually as well as a group. And I can't speak to everyone's. I let Mike speak to some of his influences. There's some obvious bluegrass influences for all of us, you know, and the fathers of that music. And also, um, you know, there's some rock elements now in Arm and Arm. And uh, I think we probably draw on like the 70s rock sounds for that. Um, I really, we, I feel like we were listening to a lot of the band, all of us growing up and, and then all the way through now. And just texturally, it's not taken from that, but it sort of reminds me of that a little bit. I, f I feel like our, our band is made up of a bunch of guys that have listened to and played different types of music their whole you know all their lives i mean i i didn't grow up listening to bluegrass or playing bluegrass and i don't think any any of us in the band grew up listening to to bluegrass or old-time music and playing that kind of music but we got into it later in life in in college and we, we all grew up listening to a variety of things like you said rock and roll reggae jazz classical i mean i mike and i met you know in, in high school in the band and i was playing the saxophone at the time and you know, he was doing percussion and we were playing classical music and jazz and stuff. So, but I think um, now that the band has been a band for so long and we, we did the kind of traditional bluegrass thing for such a long time, when we were making this record, I, I, it, re it really stood out to me that I felt like it was the first record where it was like, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever the song calls for, that's what we're going to do. We're not yeah. thinking about trying to fit into a, a specific style or specific genre. And but letting all the influences kind of come out, like you said, I mean, I, you know, as a mandolin player, of course, I, I'm influences influenced by Bill Monroe and traditional bluegrass. But, uh, you know, I, I also listen to a lot of, you know, Led Zeppelin and that had mandolin in it. And mm -hmm. and so I can think specifically of some of the songs on Arm and Arm where I was trying to play the mandolin like more like Jimmy Page or, or John Paul Jones played it than you know, the way Bill Monroe did, just because that's what served the song. It was more of a rock and roll kind of song than a, than a bluegrass song. And I think with the Brian Wilson thing, um, I felt like we, we just did a lot of voices on this record. You know, I felt like, and in, in, in especially since Barrett has been in the band and he's a great singer, we're just trying to, you know, always put our, our strong things out in focus. And and we have so many great singers in the band now, and, and we're just, just layering voices. We did a lot of layering of voices yeah. on this record. So it seems almost unlikely that you would have wound up playing the music that you're playing now, given your, your beginnings. But to back up, I, I'll say that that's not uncommon. There are so many mm -hmm. artists that I talk to that started out in one direction and wound up in completely something else. But... It does seem to be unusual that everybody is it everybody is is everybody coming from a different sort of nobody was picking at the age of eight or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah, a lot of bluegrass bands and bluegrass musicians they grow up, you know, their parents played, you know, and had a band with their family or something, and, and a lot of these these pickers you see out there at the festivals and stuff they've been playing since they were five years old the banjo or the fiddle or whatever. None of us have that story. Now, a lot of us have been playing instruments since we were five, six years old or singing since we were children, but but not doing one specific type of music, you know, doing different types of things. And I think it's great. I, I love it. I love that about our band. 
I love that about the music we're playing now that it's just we, we all have such an appreciation for all kinds of music and, and we let it just kind of come in and, and, and inform what we're doing. informed by, as Mike Gugino alluded to, rock music like the Beach Boys that he and his bandmates grew up listening to. That was Afterglow. One of the commonalities between rock music and bluegrass is their use of solos, often improvised and intense. Stemming from their common ancestor, jazz music, these bursts of energy are not unlike the toy surprise that got you to buy the cereal, an experience within the experience a kind of dopamine plateau that kicks things into fifth gear. 
with their song Sunny Days. Steep Canyon Rangers do just that. That one was fun, you know. I mean, I think we left some room on this record to really um, kind of be who we are on stage a lot. So I think you hear on this on this song, there's a there's a long solo section that's just really free form and open ended, and uh, and Mike's taking it on the mandolin, and uh, you know, it's one of those things you you couldn't ever reproduce it if you were going to sit down and try to map it out and chart it out and play it like that. But uh, yeah, in that moment, he's talking about Mike was well into his solo, and it sounds like he, maybe he's trying to wrap it up for a second there, and the band is just so excited, and, and we don't wrap it up. And that pushes him to this really great, you know, a few more measures of mandolin madness. And uh, that, that's like Graham said, that's just a studio thing that happened. And every time we play it live now, we don't have a plan there. It's just, let's watch what Mike does. Yeah. And if we hold out longer, he has to keep playing. It's, it's a wonderful <laughs> thing to watch. <laughs> self-produced this record which i think is a first yeah. so that's notable it and is. also wanted to rewind a little bit and talk about talk about michael silvern who yeah. produced your single be still moses with yeah. boys to men which was completely yeah like landed at you know out, he fell out of the sky like we'd never expected that and it was he, yeah. really good he's a surprising character and, and uh we could talk and i could just sit here and listen to whatever michael says for yeah. like an hour and to be entertaining because he's he's totally great he is and a huge heart and just a wonderful sweet guy and really creative soul and it's it's a it's a unique type of creativity because a lot of um a lot of times I think I can see people's creativity working or you can sort of see it's linear. You can see the outcome with Michael. It was, I don't know. He's just secretly like sticking things on the wall to see what would work, you know? And then out comes this amazing thing that we never would have been, we wouldn't have thought of it. We wouldn't have been capable of pulling that off. I mean, he's, he's just got this unique way that he works, but uh, yeah, he's also just a sweetheart. I love him to death. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was great working with them. And, yeah, we would have never thought to uh, add Boys to Men to one of our songs. That just that was all that was his idea. And it was a, it was a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever want a, a you know, primer on the music industry, he's your guy. He's your guy. <laughs> so true. He's got a few things to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, um, you're right about Arm in Arm as well. We This is the first time that we sort of haven't, I think Michael Selvern was the last, you know, producer that we brought in for something. And so Arm in Arm, uh, I think it's, there's, um, it, it's unique, you know. I wanted to say it's less makeup, but it's not. I mean, we just, we got to do that as a band and it was a unique experience. I mean, we already arrange as a band. We rehearse as a band. We go into the studio and track as a band. But ultimately, you know, having a producer can do so many great things. Like one thing that Woody has always said through the years is that it's a really great way to sort of have the buck stop here. Like the band can vote if we're stuck in a position, but the producer has the ultimate say-so. And so I'd say a unique thing about that is that we never were able to push that off on anyone else. We had to actually come up with the answer. And so that was a new exercise for the band and uh, one that I'm thankful for because it, you know, it kind of fast tracks your creative process, your editing process as a band. Yeah, I fully agree. It was awesome. It was super exciting because we, it turns out, turns out we didn't need a producer and we, yeah. uh, and we didn't know that for sure heading into the project that, uh, that we didn't need a producer, but you know, the buck stops at the producer, and that's one of the real benefits of having a producer is that they, they can end up making the decisions for you or kind of ironing out some differences. But when those differences came along, we ironed them out ourselves, really. It's like everybody who had an idea got heard, um, yeah. you know, and then everybody rolled with however those ideas developed, and it was kind of a magical flow thing that we had going on in that it's beautiful and exhausting right it's it like is you have it was, to go down every road it was beautiful and exhausting and that's the thing that's the most successful i mean to me about the whole record is that we had such a good time it was such a beautiful time making it and now going just seeing it and its physical reality and going back and listening to those songs is just like a record of that time and it was a really sincere awesome thing that we did with some really good songs and proud of it Chasing the moon, yeah, you open me up. 
I'm in my bare feet, standing in the clover. I got you buzzing around my head. I don't care if I get stung for a little bit of honey on my tongue. For a little bit of honey on my tongue. on the shelf every little bit of yourself you give it away is it mine to tell that you want to go carefully baby leave that care to me run along and play I'm in my bare feet standing in the clover I got you buzzing around my head I don't care if I get stung for a little bit of honey on my tongue and my bare feet standing in the clover. I got you buzzing around my head. I don't care if I get stung for a little bit of honey on my tongue, for a little bit of honey on my tongue, for a little bit of honey on my tongue. Better get used to that I thought I might watch your back All the time Performed live on WNCW, that was Graham Sharp and Woody Platt with Honey on My Tongue, another standout from Arm in Arm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Southern Songs and Stories, and I hope you might tell someone you know about this podcast. You can subscribe to this series on your podcast platform of choice, and it helps greatly when you give it a good rating and a review. Top ratings and reviews especially will make Southern songs and stories and the artist's profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. Southern songs and stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW. Our theme songs are by Joshua Mink. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. <laughs>